Bring it in. The read option returns. First off, apologies to the listeners. Last week, uh, some stuff came up. It would have only been me doing a whole college football conference by myself. And I think I speak for everybody and everyone on the pod that says that that's at this point, as we're getting ready for football, it works best when we have minimum two, but really when we have all three of us together. So we did take off last Friday, uh, but we are back. Another day late here as well, but that's because a lot of shit's happened. Uh, and I am currently in New Jersey. Scotty was at a wedding. Vito's constantly traveling. So we, we pushed it back a day, but we're all here and we got a great podcast for you. We have a ton to get to um, the passing of one of the greatest American athletes in the history of American sports. Um, and we want to honor one Bill Russell. We'll get to that. The Deshaun Watson suspension has been levied and we know exactly uh, the process. And I'm going to try to explain because I think a lot of people are understandably upset and frustrated with it. Uh, I'm going to explain kind of why the number is what it is, despite the fact that I think we all can agree that it's a bullshit number. Uh, We have the Miami Dolphins owner getting suspended six games as well as fined uh, in as a result of the Tom Brady, Sean Payton, and then the conclusion of the Brian Flores investigation, which we talked at nauseum of several months ago. Uh, And then we're going to continue our previews here. We're going to do the NFC and AFC South division. So we went from the most exciting and anticipated uh, divisions to probably the two least, but that's because we got a lot to get to. I will also throw out that the uh, MLB trade deadline was today. And a lot of shit happened. And so Scotty's going to be doing a solo pod as an extra special pod this week that will be coming out uh, hopefully tomorrow as the time you're listening to that. But with all that being said, the crew is here. The crew is together. Scotty, Vito, how is everybody? Um, how are we doing? We're talking more ball today. And I hate that we I hate that we missed the day of, of college football because I love talking college football. Um, Who doesn't? And- but Best we will around. We no, will catch up. We got time. Us. Like Jeff said, we, we had some things come up and, but we're going to get right back to it. We're going to dive in and man, I am so excited to get to listen. The storylines right now in all of sports are peaking right before the NFL season. And everyone knows when the NFL season hits, all this stuff goes away and, and it's focused on football. But right now, some interesting things are happening in a lot of places. And this is going to be a really fun day to get through um, some just straight football, some serious stuff, some more lighthearted stuff. And, and uh, man, it's just, it's exciting to be back with all you guys talking about all this because it it helps. I feel like we all know it's really fun to go back and forth. It's my therapy, (laughs) especially in sports, man. We we represent some different point of views and we'll go through some stuff and, and there are things we agree on and disagree on. But it's really fun to work through it with you guys, and and I am so excited. Now the listeners are too to, to get all three of us here for this one. And I also I also bared the little bit. Scotty's birthday was last week as well. So not only yes, was he was. traveling, Scotty turns thirty three years old. Yes, or turned thirty three. Old man. I did. I, yes. Can you qualify for ARP yet? Uh no, this, I got another no, couple yet. of years for that. I I don't okay. want to go without mentioning I was away at. Uh, uh, for a wedding, it was one of our good friends, uh, mm. DJ and Tori. DJ and Tori, uh, they got married, so shout out to 
them. Yeah. Uh, they're currently in Turks and Caicos on their honeymoon. So, but it was a fun wedding. Uh, but I did have a, a a little list for you guys, a little uh, a top five list uh, in honor of my thirty third birthday. All right. Let's. All I right. believe it's correct me if I'm wrong. The top three, top five athletes who wore the number thirty three. That's right. Top five athletes to wear right, the number thirty three. I have an outside five. looking in. I have an outside oh, looking in before I get to number in. five. A uh, little honorable mention to uh, to. Uh, and, and it's mostly baseball players at this point. A little honorable mention to Jose Canseco, uh, David Wells, and Hall of Famers Larry Walker and Eddie Murray. Uh, also honorable mention to uh, Tony Dorsett, one yeah. of the great running backs in the NFL who did not crack my top five. Uh, honorable mention outside looking in also to Grant Hill and, uh, and Vito. You'll love this one outside looking in. Jack Ham, the legendary Penn State linebacker, uh, who f- had two 11 or no seasons and, and uh, 91 tackles, four interceptions, and an All American in his senior year. Obviously, drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he won four Super Bowls. Obviously, the great radio broadcaster for the Penn State mm-hmm. Nittany Lions. So, uh, that's Penn our State outside looking good. in. Yeah, they were pretty good. Uh, were. And uh, so. <laughs> Here we are at our top five. All right, number players, five. Athletes to wear the number 33. Number five is a bit of a hometown favorite for me. Roger Craig, a oh. halfback for the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. Of course. Who doesn't know that guy? Yeah. I love doesn't? Dude, Roger Craig. I mean, you talk about the history of football. This might be one of the most versatile running backs that's ever played. He was the guy. He was basically the guy catching the ball in the backfield before that was commonplace. The first running back that fit a West coast offense. That's right. Great. Pick that was there, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That was, yes, that was the Joe Montana special. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it wasn't Dwight Clark or, or, uh, Jerry, or Rice. Jerry Rice, uh, number four, Scotty Pippen. It's a good, it's a good four. 33. A yeah. Scotty at four. I mean, it's a great 33. Yeah. Uh, Thir- Oh, uh, yeah, I missed there's an outside looking clear. In. Well, there's one yeah. clear number one overall. Yeah, here at yeah, and I'm sure we all have the same one. Uh, 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 I missed an outside looking in. That's Patrick Ewing. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yeah. All right, all right. That's some good 33s. So, all all right, number, so number three. Number three on my top five athletes to wear the number 33. Patrick Waugh, goalie. Mm. Goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche for Stanley Cup titles. That's, that's he had the guy to make who the got list. me to be a Broncos fan. That's I, I love Patrick. A Watt. Broncos fan or an Avalanche fan? I was an Avalanche fan and became Both. a Broncos fan because I like <laughs> them. And that's literally, I played oh. goal growing up. That's why I love them. Dude, love it. Number two, Larry Legend. Larry Bird. How is he not your number? He's oh, all right. He, he to me is the clear cut number one. Well, when you hear number one, you're going to be surprised. It's. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at number one. Wow. Kareem I top point scorer in the NBA. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I still I... probably would have Larry Legend. Man, that's a Kareem's great a top list, scorer in the, that's in the league. That's a great list, man. That's a good <laughs> wow. list. There you go. Top list. five athletes, according to Scott, that uh, were the number 33. All right. You know I... what? I like I, these. Everyone, if you're if you're ranking them, that's one thing. I thought this was more because it was your birthday. This is like more of your favorites. No, 
no, but no, you're no. just saying these were your these in your ranking. These are the top five. That's right. According seasons. to me. <laughs> All right. Well, wow, shout out. Well, sports. it's fitting. Um, happy birthday, Scott. Uh, we love you. Uh, Thank you. But it is fitting. Number one overall is one of the big best big men in NBA history. Um, ends up being a a, tran- a a good transition here, but also a bittersweet one. The NBA lost Bill Russell this week. Um, the sports world lost Bill Russell this week. And you'll hear it from everybody. And I think, um, you know, it's a commonplace expression, right? Like you can really tell the impact that someone makes based off of the reaction to when they pass away. And Bill Russell, I mean, every heavy hitter in the world of sports, right, came out and said something in regards to Bill Russell when he passed away. Uh, 11-time champion, 10-0 and 0 in game sevens in his career, first blackhead coach, first uh, in American team sports, also first player coach in the NBA. Um, the list goes on and on, but in terms of the, you know, the classic, oh, he's great, great player, but even better person kind of, you know, classic line that people say, this one's pretty true. Um, this is a man who stood along Muhammad Ali at the Muhammad Ali summit, you know, with it was him and Kareem, who at the time was Lou Alcindor and Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali. I mean, Bill Russell didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. You can use every cliche to describe it. He was a brilliant and incredible guy. Um, and the world reacted accordingly. Uh, and as bittersweet as it is, um, not even bittersweet. I mean, it's it's awesome to hear all these stories and hear people say it. It's obviously devastating to lose someone like that. Um, I mean, this is a guy who the you know the NBA Finals MVP trophy is named after because that award didn't exist when he played. <laughs> you know, he is as quintessential to the creation of basketball and to the success of American team sports as anybody. Um, and to and, modern day basketball. I mean, modern day basketball to to everyone. It, it, I mean, Talk about a guy who's like you. You think about modern day basketball. You think the the uh, long, lanky guy who who can shoot and score and play excellent defense. And that was Bill Russell way before his time, yeah. right? He was six ten, two fifteen, and was the first guy who really used his his length and athleticism on both the offensive end to score. And the defensive end to, to play help defense and be one of an unprecedented rim protector. What's what's amazing about Bill Russell and and the when you tell the story of the NBA, you go back to two and you start at the beginning. There's there's two names, and it's Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. And what's wild and- is the two of them kind of embody what we debate all the time in modern sports when it comes to the greatest or the, the things we like, right? Like Wilt was this unbelievable freak athlete, high volume scorer, scores a hundred points in the game, the most extreme versions of the dominant athlete score. But Bill Russell was the, I'll do anything to win to the extremes. Yeah. Um, Bill Simmons did a, has a, a, a podcast series called the book of basketball 2.0. Cause he wrote a book that's literally called the book of basketball. Um, and he does like a 20 minute thing just on bill Russell and he re-released it uh, the day after bill Russell died. And what's, he tells this amazing story about, you know, when bill Russell first joined the Celtics, he scouted the Celtics. Like he got drafted out of San Francisco 
and yes, goes sir. to his go downs. <laughs> there you go. Goes to a Celtics game and scouts his own team to figure out exactly what he needed to do for them to win. I mean, th- think about that, right? Like think about how bizarre that is. And, and his whole career was built around this idea and his whole mindset of just anything to win. And yeah, people will say, okay, there were 15 teams or 12 teams in the NBA at the time he played. So 11 championships, people for a long time, have tried to water that down. It's all, it's all horseshit, man. I mean, this dude was the embodiment of a team player who wanted nothing more than to win. Um, in addition to everything he did off the court. So Scotty, I know you have a lot of thoughts you want to uh, say on this, but I, I do want to give Vito the opportunity to hear as well to, to, to feed in. Cause I want to give Scotty as much time as he needs to kind of, to get through some of the stuff he's prepared. So Vito, what, what, what was your reaction? This obviously it's over sad is the, the biggest thing, but um, even as a non massive basketball fan, we all know who Bill Russell was and we all know the impact he had as a person. I mean, I think there's, there's two things that come to mind. One, it was, a, I've, I, I think on, on just the historical side, I watched a lot of things about Jim Brown and, um, you know, about Muhammad Ali and Bill Russell's involvement in that era is just something that can't be understated. Like this guy was an absolute legend of the sport and was also the only guy probably out of all the, maybe Jim Brown as well, who was also the greatest football player of all time, but you have the greatest players of two sports of all time helping out with this. That's just like, I, I don't know what, obviously none of us know what that was like going through that with them, like at that time period. And just to be so elite at something and to risk it all for, for the betterment of humanity is just, I mean, hats off to you as a, as just a human being. So you can't, there's no higher respect, right? There's no higher respect. And then, in addition to that, you think of probably the greatest winner to ever play American sports. And for me, that's where it gets me. Like, dude, I love greatness. I think when you can witness greatness on in any way possible, it's the most beautiful thing. Whether, I don't care if you're looking at a painting, I don't care if you're looking at architecture, I don't care if you're watching sports, I don't care if you're listening to music. When you know greatness, it, it moves you and it doesn't matter the medium it's in. And that's what Bill Russell at least did winning. Now, given... Listen, I haven't, I've seen highlights because of a lot of things, but I don't know him the way other people do, but I do know that that guy represented the absolute dominance of a sport in an era to make it popular and, and to do both of those things in the first and the, in the latter, it's just uh, hats off to one of the, you know, a great human being. Um, and, you know, all the respect in the world, God, I hope there's a couple more like him coming up. You know, that's what everyone I think is thinking right now. Couldn't agree more. Scotty, I'll, I'll turn the mic to you, my friend. Yeah. I, look, I mean, you know, I grew up in San Francisco. Uh, that's no secret on this podcast. And he's a legend there, man. That's where he came from. He's from the Bay Area. Uh, Climates High School in Oakland went to University of San Francisco, put them on the map with uh with two back-to-back championships on one of the first integrated teams uh in the nc2a um and was obviously a legend uh in the nc2a as he was in uh in the nba as a boston celtic um and the adversity that he had to go through at, at all levels uh from a racial standpoint in particular was uh was something i i believe that that shaped him 
as a human and as a player. And that and when you get into talking about his involvement with uh, with the civil rights movement, with uh, with the Black Power movement, uh, even in the in the mid '60s, um, it it can't be understated uh, how integral he was to that. You know, Jim Brown was a big part of it. Uh, obviously, Muhammad Ali uh, and other athletes, but uh, those guys will tell you that the the rock of of all of that was Bill Russell. Uh, the center of it, and uh, for him to to be that figure in the city that he would was in in Boston, uh, which was as racially charged as any in uh, in the mid '60s during the Civil Rights Movement, um, was uh, was a testament to the uh, to the power uh, that he had as, as a human, as an and as a player. Testament to the will that that uh, that he had to do things his own way and make sure to see out what was right um, and what was just, uh, not just on the basketball court but off um, in particular. And so, uh, you know, for me, as a, I I I wrote a piece uh, which which I'll uh, I'll make a version of uh, in an audio medium for 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 all our listeners to hear uh, and potentially post somewhere on, uh, on social. But uh, I wept when, when I heard this as a, as a, when I wrote this as a Bay area fan, um, as, as a San Francisco fan, what, what he did for where he came from and what he meant to, uh, to our city uh, in particular, uh, I think beyond the the confines of of his time in the NBA uh, was just I mean what can you say he's he's yeah. an absolute legend and uh, on and off the court and you know he's he will well, be missed and, and I I don't think people fully even understand or, or grasp and and more people have learned this as in his passing um, but before this why the the Michael Jordans, the Shaqs, the, the, every single great player in the history of the NBA admires Bill Russell the way that they do is because of the sacrifices he made, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who had shit smeared onto the walls of his house, human feces smeared onto his house in Boston. Um, when, when Larry Bird won his third championship in Boston, uh, the not the Boston what, what's the the main the Boston Globe had the front page was you know Larry Bird greatest Celtic ever right and what was amazing was when they said that to him after he won his his third Larry Bird even Im- immediately clapped back and and said I I'm not the greatest he said I, I'm not even close he's like I, I've won three championships he's like, no, no one is touching what Bill Russell did and that's as a winner, but that's also including everything that he went through as the face of an organization in a town that had as much hatred in its heart towards people of color as Boston did during the time he yeah. played there. And he, he often said he, I mean, there he was were, always there were, a Celtic first and well, never played for Boston. And so much so that even as recently as 2013, when they put up the statue of him in Boston, 
he refused to return back to the city of Boston. Yep. And he didn't go to his retirement ceremony. He didn't go to his Hall of Fame ceremony. His his love for the same was, reason. His love was not for the city of Boston and not necessarily even towards the Celtics, but to the men that he played with, yeah. played for, and fought for. Um, and that's representative of every person that we see in the NBA today, but also across sports. You know, it, it's so easy to say, and we were taught growing up like, Jackie Robinson, you know, broke the color barrier and then black people could play sports and cool. No problem. Everything's good now because Jackie Robinson, this one thing. And it's it eliminates years and decades of history and people like Bill Russell who had to go through unspeakable things while still being great athletes, because in order for him to be accepted, he didn't it wasn't enough for him to be outspoken or to be morally and, and emotionally strong. He also had to be fucking good. Because that's all the people that he was fighting against cared about. That was the first step for them to be like, you know what? We can accept this guy now because he's winning. And that was the first thing. And one of the, the most noble things about Bill Russell, and he had this thought, and we hear it all the time now, but he never wanted to sign autographs because he didn't believe that children should be asking professional athletes for their autographs because he never thought that you know, we should be the people, you know, that we're the ones who should be idolized by society. And he didn't sign autographs for that reason. And despite being a curmudgeonly older guy at times who will flip off Charles Barkley at the SBs or, you know, all these different things, um, he was unapologetically himself. And you saw the joy in his heart every single year when they would, especially in the last, you know, five or six years, when they would literally have to wheel him out sideline to give out the finals MVP award, you know, that was, that was so massive in the way that we, to him in order to just keep staying alive because for a year, I mean, the guy's 88 years old, standing at seven feet tall. Those guys don't live seven feet tall. Guys don't typically live to be 88. And it makes you wonder, man, this guy was a fighter. He was a winner. There's a great story. You know, he told about back in 2010, um, his wife found a, a copy of one of his games from like 1954 when he was at San Francisco. And to talk about the type of competitor this guy was, he could tell you every single thing that was about to happen before it happened from a random game that happened to be recorded somewhere and sold on eBay that his wife bought for him. He could tell him every single thing that happened in this random game 60, 70 years ago. Wow. And for everything that Bill Russell represented, represented, we as sports fans today, um, but more importantly as people today, have a lot to thank for him. So I thought it was important we take the time to acknowledge it like scotty said he's gonna he wrote a whole piece on it and he's gonna dictate it and and we'll release it on our channel at some point this week um just a really really special human being let's take a break we'll reset we'll come back and when we come back we're going to talk some nfl news before we dive into the nfc and afc south divisions all that on the other side all right, switching gears now, we're talking uh, about the NFL. We have some suspensions that have been levied by the NFL, one to an owner, 
and one to a quarterback, um, Deshaun Watson. The suspension came in with six games. I think unilaterally between most NFL fans, uh, the consensus is that's not enough. How can it only be six games? Uh, we talked about this throughout the process when the NFL had kind of leaked, right, that they wanted the suspension to be up to a year. Um, there was a lot of kind of scuttlebutt about that, right? A lot of people thought immediately, okay, this means if the NFL wants that, that means it's going to be a year, right? Well, I want to backtrack a little bit for people. And I want to kind of help explain how we got to this point. Yeah, that'd be good. Because the outcry and the frustration, particularly of people who are survivors of, you know, sexual misconduct or sexual violence, um, understandably are upset. I think it was a tough day for female fans of the NFL. I think it's tough fan for a, a tough day for a lot of fans of the NFL. Um, but I want to at least help people understand why the number is what it is, because there's nothing I'm going to say or you either one of you guys or anyone's going to say that's going to make six games feel like enough, because in my opinion, I think in most people's opinion, it's not enough. However, I think understanding how we got there at least helps the process of it all make more sense and will probably make you more frustrated with the NFL if you weren't already frustrated enough. So. Several years ago, when the CBA was renegotiated, there was a clause and a new set of rules put in to essentially help fix the Ray Rice problems, right? Um, which was, hey, what happens when there's all this public outcry and we need to punish a player? But, you know, and honestly, the tipping point for this was the Ezekiel Elliott suspension um, a few years ago. And Jerry Jones and a lot of people, they came in, they pushed hard and they said, we're going to get an independent mediator. We're going to get a, a judge to come in and they're going to make a ruling and we're going to basically adhere to this ruling. So that happened, I think it was about two or three, four years ago. I forget the last time the CBA was renegotiated. So this is the first big test for this process, which is, all right, well, we have the, you know, we're going to have a judge come in take all the proceedings, everything that's in there, and we're going to essentially go by their decision. There's a big problem here, though. When the NFL decided they were going to do this, they never set firm criteria as to what an appropriate punishment would be for nonviolent sexual misconduct, you know, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but essentially offenses, right? If you check off these particular boxes, right? You failed these things in the policies within the, NF, uh, the NFL CBA, then you would get screwed off. So in this case, there are three policies or values, um, depending on how you want to phrase it, um, provi provisions of the policy is probably the official way, um, that are the criteria for this case. So number one was sexual assault. Number two, genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another. Number three, undermining or putting at risk the integrity of the NFL. Now, it's, in, it's important to note here that Judge Robinson herself defined her role uh, and basically said all three of those were violated. All three of those things were proven true based off of her findings, based off of the way that the 
court played out and everything that was submitted to the NFL. That is an important fact here, right? Because if the NFL did have clear uh, punishments or a clear protocol for what happens if you violate these things, then there wouldn't be a problem, right? Because no one would be arguing because the NFL would have already had a clear laid out plan. Well, the NFL never did have a clear laid out plan. They never did have exactly what these punishments would be. So what ultimately happened is the judge in this case had no clear cut number of games in which or, or punishment in general, which she could levy because the NFL failed to do that. So she was forced to go off of previous findings or previous examples, right? Whatever the precedent that was set. From a previous CBA. I, 100%. I.e. Ray Rice. So Ray Rice was suspended two games, which we all know was a laughable amount. And ultimately, he was blackballed and never played in the NFL again. The NFL cannot unilaterally change their punishment decisions without giving proper notice to those affected. All right. This was her response and her her statement and her findings, right? And this is what I want people, and this, again, won't make anyone feel better, but at least helps understand it. This is a quote from the actual release from the judge. While it may be entirely appropriate to more severely disciplined players for nonviolent sexual conduct, I do not believe it is appropriate to do so without notice of the extraordinary change the position pretend or portends for the NFL and its players. Essentially, you can't give out a more substantial punishment if you don't tell the players that their punishment would be more substantial if they do this. And so it all goes back to the NFL. The NFL basically said, hey, look, we're not going to make these decisions ourselves anymore because We always end up screwing it up and everyone gets pissed. But they didn't tell anybody what the punishments would be. And therefore, once something actually happened, the judge had nothing to actually work on. Which puts everybody in this fucked up position, which is that if you look based off the precedent that was set, which is the Josh Brown, the kicker who had four games and the Ray Rice who had two games, which were, again, violent sexual misconduct or or violent assault charges, which was the judge said this in her findings. This is technically the most extreme punishment ever given out for a player who has these discretions held against them. It's not wild. And it all goes back to the NFL. Does man. And it sucks. It fucking sucks. This should be a year minimum, but the NFL fought so hard to not be in the position to make this decision. And there's one other big thing here too, in that part of having this judge do this is to prevent public backlash being the thing that ultimately (laughs) substantiates a bigger punishment being needed, which is just like, if you had a clear clear plan, this wouldn't be a problem, which is the same thing with Ray Rice. You'd have a roadmap. If the Ray Rice (laughs) video never comes out, he never probably gets fucking suspended to begin with, or at least he's not blackballed from the league. Well, he's only, yeah, in two games. But I think the thing that's crazy about it is that, hold on, sorry. God <coughs> bless you. Love bless you. on a podcast. Anyway, so thank you guys. Uh, I think what's crazy about it too is the comparisons. The other suspensions we've heard, right? You have 
I think what everyone obviously is talking about is the difference between this and the whole year that Calvin Ridley got for betting $1,500 on a game when he was out already for his own reasons, but he was not playing and betting $1,500 to Jeff's point violates one of those things, right? Which is the integrity of the game and not too much. If we're all honest, like, come on, Uh, objectively, that's like not that crazy. And he's suspended indefinitely. Yeah. Technically. And And at least for this year. year. And, and, and that to me is wild that betting $1,500 on yourself to win and you're not even playing is going to get more. And I get they need to set a precedent. Well, right? that's that's the thing is there was no precedent. Therefore, they could they could do. You know what I mean? Like they were able that's, to to set a precedent so backhanded. No, but, so to, backhanded. but to the point is that isn't it wild that like that's violating one of those three and the other ones are violent. Like the other one, like you said, had been said to violate all three of those three rules that the NFL listed as which and those were in in specifically towards sexual misconduct policy okay but right? i guess one of them was what, what was the, the, the integrity as if, as if the integrity. nfl was qualified to to judge the sexual misconduct between well, I, their players and other women step i mean please can't, right good for you to get that out of out of the nfl office hands but now obviously but without setting but without there's, setting there's guidelines for the yeah, judge you gotta, the judge is forced to do what she did no and that's what i'm saying now the next step clearly is you got to have a independent third party come in and state what what suspensions should be for different things and you should probably have you know i would say literal judges in that maybe even victims of those crimes maybe police i don't know what you need but you need to have a group come up with what suspensions should be and i think that's the only way the nfl gets out of this you can't even the problem those punishments yourself at this point right and wholeheartedly i agree with you yeah. like personally well, the problem with that though is that that takes control and power and more importantly these owners and teams desires to win out of the hands of the owners which is why they never set a clear precedent right the NFL mm-hmm. almost operates in a way where they want to see what the public reaction is. And then that way they can go accordingly to try to make everybody happy. Right. If the NFL was still in charge of this, and this is part of why Jerry Jones being the most powerful owner p- pushed really hard for the Ezekiel Elliott suspension or pushed for this post Ezekiel Elliott suspension, because he felt like he got done a raw deal, which was like, all right, well, public outcry Ezekiel Elliott never got even charged or it never had civil cases, never had anything. Ezekiel Elliott only got suspended two less games than Deshaun Watson. And that's honestly the problem here, which is that the NFL and the owners have operated in a place of power for so long and have been able to essentially dictate their decisions based off of public outcry and still be able to have their players who are really talented and help make them millions and millions and millions of dollars on the field. And that's why they didn't set, at least in my opinion, that's why they didn't set a precedent. That's why they didn't say, Hey, if you violate these three games, that's an automatic one year suspension because they live for the great. Do you think the Haslam's the owners of the Browns, when that ruling came out, do you think they were bummed? Do you think they went, man, this sucks? Uh, no. They just paid no. that guy $200 million uh, and, fucking and it, dollars. And it begs the question, too, when they when they signed the contract, like what – or when they offered the contract, like what did they know that we didn't, right? Like 
Oh yeah. Uh, like, because if, if you're going to offer that amount of guaranteed money, uh, this is insignificant. I mean, look now Deshaun Watson is going to turn around and pay all the settlements that he can with the guaranteed money that he's getting. He's losing what? A couple of million dollars in the deal? That's pennies. That's Not shekels. even because it's he's, yeah. his contract's only one million this year. Off of the six games. So, so it's ridiculous to me that – so it begs the question that I feel like they knew more than uh, than we knew, obviously. Um, well, And that goes back to what I said at the will, beginning, right? Scott, right? That goes back to what I was saying before, which is that when we talked about this earlier in the summer or in the spring, which was that, oh, the NFL wants a year-long suspension, and we thought for sure that that was going to happen, they did that on purpose. They did that for the public response. So they can say, hey, it wasn't us. The judge is the one that said six games. We, we let you guys know two months ago, or it was reported two months ago when they leaked it, that we want a year-long suspension. But, hey, you know what? We have to go by the judge because that's what we agreed to in the CBA. And it, it sucks. It fucking sucks. It sucks for fans of the NFL who no longer feel comfortable supporting the NFL, which I, I get. But ultimately, I don't know how many more of these things can happen. I, I don't know how we can live in a world where 24 women speak up about this guy. And ultimately, this gets, you know, because the NFL and and you know what? Let's just call a spade a spade. We're as guilty of as anybody, right? What did we say to sure. kick off the show? Yeah. We we can't be eager enough for football to start so we can talk about football. And yep. that's feeding into it all. Yeah. And it's a very it's a very tough thing. And maybe none of us are the more none of us are the moral police, but maybe none of us are no, no, but it's conflicting. I, just, I don't as a, know, as a football man. fan. It's hard you know? when you love the game, you love the players, you want the players to get paid, but at the same time, supporting them is putting money in the pockets of people who intentionally set shit up to be able to control it, manipulate it, to get what they want and make more money at the and end that's of the day. At the expense the story of life in sports, and, and, and like that, the problem True. is, is that the, <laughs> like no, I, and, and not to take it too crazy, but I guess the point is that like this is a real lesson I think for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Right. And that like what, what is right doesn't always happen. What you think is the correct action, even in a very progressive world we live in is not necessarily what you think should happen. And there's <laughs> yeah, still pump some the brakes on that. Fought, right. And there's still yeah. some rights to be wronged and some things to, to line up correctly. And, and this is obviously one of them with suspensions in the NFL. The, the only thing I can say, and we'll, we'll move on to the Stephen Ross news, because that's a whole other fascinating can of worms. Speaking of NFL owners having yeah. manipulative powers over the uh, <laughs> the entire league. Um, I, I hope at some point something changes. But I don't know how it does with the NFL only no. making more not, and more money. Not if you're, not if you're operating on... If you're hiding behind the guise of making money, the fact that you're operating on precedent and precedent alone, what it takes without is making a landmark decision. And what what it takes is is landmark cases. Yeah, exactly. Landmark moments. Ray Rice was a landmark moment, and Colin Kaepernick being blackballed for what he did was a landmark moment. Yep. And the, right? and the it, NFL, despite, despite time and time Colin, again, has failed at all it, of those turns. Yes and no. I mean, yes, they've ultimately what what they've done is Ray Rice and Colin Kaepernick became sacrificial lambs 
where their punishments for what they did. Now, granted, those two are not equal, and I'm nowhere near equating what what Ray Rice did with what Colin Kaepernick <laughs> did. Um, however, their football careers became sacrificial lambs for what the owners ultimately wanted. It forced small changes, right? The thinking of any sort of social sexual misconduct any of that stuff kind of violations and suspensions and the multitude of people who have gotten suspended for it um over the years it, it had their micro changes but ultimately the owners are still trying to think one or two or three or ten steps ahead in order to make sure that their bottom line doesn't get affected by it they'll give just enough they'll give you just enough cheese right to get you to buy into all right well the nfl is at least changing but they're ultimately they're still manipulating things for their own game. And it fucking sucks. Um, all right. As Scott said, talking about manipulative shitty pieces of shit owners, um, Stephen Ross, the owner of the uh, dolphins, the investigation into him and the Brian Flores situation, which we talked about at nauseum months ago when the story broke, I think it was February or March. Um, it was right around this. It was the week of the yeah, Super it was Bowl. right around the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was, it was the it was the off week <laughs> yeah. of the Super Bowl. Um, where Brian Flores claimed that Stephen Ross told him to throw games uh, and lose games intentionally. Uh, this all comes out after Brian Flores was let go of the head coach of the Dolphins. Essentially, the NFL says that those claims uh, could not have been substantiated. But the claims of all of the Tom Brady and Sean Payton when Tom Brady retired and he was going to maybe become the owner or part owner of the dolphins. And they were going to bring Sean Payton in. They got tampered. They got a, a pretty much slap on the wrist for tampering, right? You, you suspend an owner six games. What's that mean? He just can't, he, he just, <laughs> he just can't sit up in the box. And watch the team. He's he's got to go to his billion dollar mansion and watch. Sit down with the you know, peons in Miami. Yeah, and 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 go watch from home. Um, that, the suspension should be he has to sit in the upper deck. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Like he should the go to a, has to sit in the last corner seat. He has to go game. to a fan bar for whatever team the Dolphins are playing for each six of those weeks. And he has to watch. Oh, there it, it is. Oh, it's oh, and you know their schedule too, by the way. And we'll get into this when we do the AFC East preview. But that first four weeks would be unbelievable for him to go to those bars. Yeah. I'm telling you. So, Patriots, Bills, it's unbelievable. That'd be amazing. Beefs. I would I would love that. I also have an amazing story involving two Buffalo Bills fans I met at the bar that I will tell you guys. And I'm not going to tell you until we do the pod because both of you guys are going to love it. Um, look, essentially, I don't know what all was found but wasn't found i do find it weird that the nfl is you know finding stephen ross 1.5 million for this for the tampering with brady and and sean payton as well as the six game suspension but conveniently they didn't find anything on the brian flores thing it seems like a really stiff penalty they also were um uh was it the first round and and a third round pick they lost yeah, for next year's draft. Yeah. So they lose their first round pick next year and their third round pick for next year. Um, Dell said what it was unprecedented owner participation in tampering, like which again to your point, okay, but like uh, losing one and three is a big deal. Let's call it what it, that's a. I mean, imagine trading it one hurts. and three. 
that that's more than a lot of teams. That's more. I'm pretty sure than Philly traded right for AJ. That's Brown. what. That's what they. I was just gonna say that's that's AJ Philly Brown. traded for an AJ. Yeah, Brown. you could yeah. get AJ Brown or the commissioners. You could take away your picks. So it is something, but like I don't know. It's that's crazy, man. And I, I'll say this too. I'm gonna go a little conspiracy, Jeff, on you guys because I don't know. Love it. Send it. But if I'm being honest, I feel like they did find something about Brian Flores, and they don't want it mm. to come out. And they're suspending yeah. and punishing Stephen Ross for what happened and using the tampering cover, which is also true. That's, and that would really be not shocking at all as that, that, that the black head coach would not get his due and that the white owner gets a slap on the wrist and a harsher punishment than uh, Deshaun Watson for sexually assaulting women, by the way. Yeah. And again, let's be honest here. <laughs> who Who's the biggest, you know, who, who gets the biggest shit sandwich out of this whole thing? with losing a first and a third it's Mike it's McDaniel, the head coach it's the yeah. players it's the front yeah. office it's not fucking Stephen Ross because you know why because Stephen Ross is still going to get the same fucking share <laughs> you know what a six game suspension should mean for an owner right if you get suspended six games in the NFL you don't get the paycheck for those six weeks you should lose six weeks worth of whatever the TV revenue for that the year profit, is. Mm. Just, yeah, that the profit should be six yeah. weeks would be incredible for the owner. That's if huge. the owners lost amazing. six weeks, we're talking about like a three or four hundred million dollar penalty. Yeah. But yeah, again, this amazing. is this is the world we live in. Um, I'll wrap up with a little bit of NFL news here before we take a break. And before we get to our first ever sponsor on the uh, read option pod couple of injuries in training camp throughout. Um, we'll start with your with your Broncos here, Vito. Um, we, we had a whole conversation with about him last week and how much Big you, one. you thought he was the best receiver potentially on the Broncos. Um, Tim Patrick su- uh, suffered season-ending ACL tear on Tuesday, the day we're recording this. Um, God, he was one of my fantasy targets in like the 14th round. I mean, geez. That, that sucks, dude. I'm 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 sorry. How 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 do we feel? I mean, look, you, you still have depth there, which is good, but how are we feeling? Pretty bummed. One of the most dependable receivers I've seen for like my Broncos in a while. Probably if and this is to be honest. I mean, there was Damaris Thomas and Eric Decker, but like the always catching every ball reminded me of Rod Smith back in the day. The greatest uh, pass Smith. catcher that's an undrafted free agent ever. Loved Rod Smith. Um, yeah. Uh, and and it's a good comp. Yeah. I mean, he's not Rod <laughs> Smith. Don't get me wrong, but he was on the trajectory of like being under pick. He was six round, I think six round pick and just, just undervalued probably and, and was making great plays with his hands. So bummer to see. Hope he comes back strong. Hope he gets, you know, the next shot he, he deserves in the NFL. And I think he will. Yeah, but I hope he comes back the same, which is always I, tough. I do too. And they've, I mean, whether it's Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, I mean, there's been injuries up and down. But KJ, yeah, it just sucks, man. It sucks. And I uh, and KJ last year as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every one of our receivers has had a knee or foot injury. That's not good. <laughs> they didn't have especially a quarterback to throw to him until now. <laughs> but you know what? At least, yeah, there's no silver lining to a player ever yeah. getting hurt. But you know, if, if we're trying to, at least, you know, you look at the roster and look, all right, well, at least, you know, there's, we know who our three guys are, you know, at least, you know, who the guys are. Um, and, and hopefully Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and KJ Hammer can, uh, can pick up uh, also two of the starting five offensive linemen 
have had to get carted off already in training camp for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> uh, Ryan, Ryan Jensen, the starting center. Uh, just signed was, a contract in the offseason, right? He did. He was uh, all, all pro. Uh, I think he was second team all pro or first. Yep. No. Yeah, he was an all pro guy last year. Um, no, because Kelsey was second team. And uh, the, the cat from uh, uh, Kansas City was first, the Oklahoma kid um creed humphrey creed humphrey yeah uh but he was still a pro bowler last year uh one of the best at his position he gets carted off day one of training camp for the bucks though is expected to still come back this year um but he's going to miss significant time and then tristan Wirfs, who was first team all pro at right tackle ahead of lane johnson um he got carted off today or yeah today and we don't know the extent of the injury as of yet but that's tough. Um, Tom Brady gets the ball up faster than anybody, but you lose two starting, arguably your two best offensive linemen. Um, that's a tough one to come back for. So I'm going full conspiracy theory, right? The NFL just accused Stephen Ross of tampering with Tom Brady, his ownership. Oh Tom Brady comes back. All of a sudden, his two of his top offensive linemen go down. This is little, the NFL. This is, a little, this is the little NFL from- taking out people. Little Carl from Caddyshack, Bill Murray. Oh, you know, yeah. Just go up, slice his Achilles. Yeah. He'll quit the game. 100%. Yeah. Well, 100%. Oh, the, that's it's my the worst, theory. It's the worst part of training camp. We've seen a couple <laughs> other small ones here and there. Nothing um, overall massive yet. I mean, the Tim Patrick one seems to be the biggest one. Just um, ACL injury is tough. Still waiting on um, potential Jimmy G spots, though. Trey Lance has uh, Jimmy some... G spots. Jimmy G spots. <laughs> Jesus, how did we have? How did we miss that nickname? Yeah, especially when he when he went on the date with the porn star too. Jeez, <laughs> God, it's cool. well, feels great, baby. There's still some stuff. Uh, Hall of Fame game Thursday night. That's right. We're both there. back this week. Can't wait. I'll be, I'm, I might go down to Canton for that. Yeah, no, that'd be, dude. You should, especially if you're yeah. in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm flying to Cleveland tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You better be there. You better yeah. be there. Uh, all right. Well, boys, you know what I hate doing? Hmm. Speculating. I hate, I hate anything that has to do with taxes. Like anything tax related, like fucks my brain. Up. Like I can't. Truth. Like even like the sales tax shit. I'm like, all right, I guess it, I guess it's that much more I have to pay. Thanks, Uncle mm-hmm. Sam. But IRS. I'll get you. Let me, let me ask you boys a question. Because we're always trying to find ways to make it easier. Are you looking for reliable solution for your accounting needs. Yeah, yeah always. Still have my own still, taxes. You know, and the other thing too is you got that extension, right? You're like, oh, I'll just pass it off. Future me will handle this. Well, are you still looking? Are you still have to file your taxes by the October extension deadline? Not me. I got mine done begrudgingly, but a lot of people out I, there have. Honestly, yeah. I would have if I could have. Yeah, well, boys, let me tell you. I'm not here. Let me tell you, boys, about a little company called Alliance Accounting. Whether you need tax help, a trusted bookkeeper to keep your business organized, or even just some friendly business tips, Alliance Accounting is here to help. You can visit their website, allianceaccounting.com. That is A-L-L-I-N-C-E-A-C-C-T-N-G.com. Or on Instagram, at alliance underscore accounting. They and our friend Omar will take care of all of your accounting needs by the October extension deadline and keep them in mind next year when tax season rolls along. Because, boys, none of us, none of us like to handle taxes. So once again, that is 
allianceaccounting.com, A-L-L-I-N-C-E-A-C-C-T-N-G.com or on Instagram at alliance underscore accounting. Tell them the read option sent you and we'll be back to take on the NFC and AFC South after this. Going to kick off our continued NFL uh, preview here with the NFC South. Now, we did say this before. Uh, we started with the AFC and NFC West because they were the most two interesting divisions. I would say these are probably the two least interesting. The NFC, the NFC North might have something to say about that, but uh, the rest of them are all really, really intriguing. So we're going to get lots of good stuff here uh, as we continue. But we're going to start with... Uh, when we're talking about most intriguing teams in the NFC South and including the AFC South as well, Tampa Bay is the most interesting team. And partially because of some of the stuff we just talked about with Ryan Jensen and Tristan Worf's potentially being off. So, or out, I should say. Uh, Tom Brady retires, unretires, comes back. Remember that month when Tom Brady was retired? Yeah, yeah. it was weird. That was a weird month. Scotty and I were at a winery. I'm just like, holy shit, Tom Brady retired. That shit was wild. Um, and it just, didn't matter because he just came right back. Uh, this team is going to look different than what we've seen in the first two years of Brady in Tampa Bay, right? Um, no Gronk. Gronk is retired for now, but we'll see. Uh, OJ Howard gone. Yeah, loses, wait till week 14. <laughs> loses both of his starting guards, Alex Kappa and Ali Marpet. Um, Marpet retiring. That was a huge loss. Also lose two starters on the defensive line, but Rotation starters in JPP and Nandamakan Sue uh, also lost Jordan Whitehead, one of their starting safeties. This team is going to look a lot different defensively. Um, they did some good stuff too. Um, they re-signed Carlton Davis, got him kept, uh, you know, kept on to a long-term deal. That's big. Uh, they go out and get Akeem Hicks, which was big. Uh, William Golston, a little out of his prime, but that's big to keep. Uh, also make a trade for Shaq Mason, bringing him from New England, which you thought, all right, that's going to help shore, you know, shore up some of the offensive line. Not quite, um, but they've also done some things. They sign Chris Godwin to the franchise tag. They go out and get Russell Gage, which is a nice complimentary receiver. Uh, and they also go out and get Julio Jones. Now, Julio did not play great for Tennessee last year also couldn't quite stay healthy but I for one and I'm curious to hear you guys thoughts here I think Julio has at least one more good year in him now good year could mean 800 yards and five touchdowns but you know opposite Mike Evans that might be enough to get you there uh, they're the clear favorite to win this division they have the greatest football player of all time in Tom Brady and I know you say Jim Brown I'm gonna say Tom Brady um how realistic potato is potato how realistic is a Super Bowl run for this team when, in my opinion at least, and maybe you guys feel differently, I think this is probably the worst Tampa Bay roster around Tom Brady, including the worst and Ryan Jensen injuries um, that he's had since he's been there going into year number three. Man, um, it may be. It may be. But I got to tell you, and I was telling you guys off uh, – in the break, I just watched all 10 episodes of Man in the Arena. And let me tell you what, I think Tom Brady can not only win the Super Bowl, I think a guy could become the president. He could go to the moon. That guy <laughs> can do anything in my mind right now. Okay. That was an incredible documentary. And I personally think that number one, think of the wide receiver skill. Like, who, 
it's your third corner going to line up on Julio Jones? Like what? What is going to happen? Well, Chris Godwin's not going to. Chris Godwin won't God, be yeah, Godwin's not going to be there for half a while. The season towards ACL right, but, uh, in week I'm, eleven, but still, thinking, I get yeah, yeah. Like at some point, he's going to be back. It's Scott uh, Scotty Miller is gone. Is that correct? No, he's still there. Still there. So is he number five? Like what uh, is going on? I'm still in Tampa. I'm still in Tampa. Good for you. Uh, we're doing well. Wide receiving core is great over here. Yeah, Thanks, I mean, I, I feel like that's just going to be incredible. Now, to your point, Jeff, the defense is not what it's been, right? Like, it's just not. And they had a dominant effect on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I think that's a massive piece of, obviously, the success there and why the Chiefs focused on the offensive line so much. But in my mind, yes, Brady can do anything. Um, they're still a favorite for me in the division. But – I don't know what that defense is going to be like, and they have some key pieces still, but that's, that's my concern. I think offensively, I'm not worried. I think offensively, as long as you have Tom Brady, you feel pretty good that they're going to be able to put up points. Um, Tom Brady, Mike Evans are good. They lose Ronald Jones, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but they bring back Giovanni Bernard. They have Leonard Fournette there. um, And I think there's one other running back too, right, Scotty? I thought they brought uh, yeah, in Rashad White, uh, Rashad who's White. A, a rookie, mm-hmm. who's a, a good pass catcher out of the backfield too. So, so they have three guys that are at least serviceable, um, and you know Brady's going to be throwing it probably forty plus times a game. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot to like. I, I like the wide receiver group, right? Um, Mike Evans was healthy all of last year. That has not necessarily been a trademark of his career, though, either. Um, and he's probably the and, most and talented knows- receiver that. Brady's played with since Randy Moss for sure. And that, uh, that pairing has been dynamic, Mm -hmm. but if something happens to Mike Evans, you're not getting Chris Godwin back till probably the midpoint of the season at best. Uh, Russell Gage is a Russell Gage. He's a great number one at that point. He's a great number three. And Julio (laughs) again, who knows? I mean, Julio could go there and have this Renaissance. The one thing I think Julio is really going to help them in is the red zone replication. You know, he's not going to have the rapport that, you know, Brady had with, with Gronk, but trying to replace some of that red zone threat stuff, I think is going to be big. They did go out and get Kyle Rudolph, which is nice to have um, as a replacement tight end. And they still have, uh, Cameron Brait there as well, who spent some time there. I think the offense will be good. I, I mainly because the offensive line thing, weirdly enough, doesn't really scare me. Because if you remember in that Super Bowl against the Chiefs, I only know this because I used to serve the guy pizza in Harrisonburg, Virginia. But Aaron Stinney was starting at right guard, and he was the third string right guard for that team. You know, wow, and, what a pull. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, again, I literally used to serve him beer and pizza at the bar I worked at in Harrisonburg. Um, used to come in every Wednesday for our like $10 pizza deals. Uh, but like, so he's done it with replacement guys. The Shaq Mason pickup is huge. Um, but losing Ryan Jensen, we all know how meticulous Brady is with the relationship with the center. I think they'll be okay, but I do think some healthy skepticism isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world when we're talking about just with the way it looks, the defense bringing back Carlton Davis is huge, but losing Jordan Whitehead is massive. Right. And, um, Oh, who's the other safety there that I absolutely love? Antoine Winfield Jr. Antoine Winfield. Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, he's he's another stud back there, but you're losing one of those two, so that's going to be an adjustment. They weren't they they couldn't get in the Marcus Williams sweepstakes or even guy like, you know, they end up signing Keanu Neal, who went from safety, then down to linebacker, and now he's playing safety again after he didn't even get on the field. I think he got cut halfway through the season with the Cowboys last year. So 
The defense is going to hurt. The one good thing is the defensive line is still going to be nasty. Vita Vey is still there. Um, the kid from JPP. Washington. No, JPP has gone. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. The defensive end that they drafted from Washington last year, um, who, who changed his name. Um, he's He was a first-round pick. He was a stud last year, so they're going to have him. Um, and I loved the Akeem Hicks signing because when Akeem Hicks was at his peak in, in Chicago, he was as disruptive as anybody. Um, but again, I do think we're all on the same page. They are the clear cut favorites, even with the injuries uh, going into this division, right? Even with Jameis Winston in the division, yeah. it's hard to say. But yeah. I, I think even, even not even the division, I think the way the NFC structure is structured, they're the clear cut favorites to win the NFC. Whoa. Just based on the roster that they've assembled. I mean, look at, look at what they've put around Tom Brady on the offensive end, and you know what he can do on the offensive end. No. He's basically the offensive coordinator. And now they've hired Todd Bowles as, as the head coach. All your concerns on the defense could be alleviated by the fact that Todd Bowles is running that team as the head coach. But Todd Bowles and, and was already running head coach. Yeah, but Todd Bowles was already running the defense. Like that's, that's not a, that's nothing new. And not to mention, that's I mean, wow. I love the I love the call, Scotty. You're just rooting for your own team. This guy's a homer. He's playing for no, the team. I'm not. I'm I'm and a Niners fan. I don't want to. No, you're playing be- for the Tampa Bay Bucks. You're rooting for him. I get it. But Jameis is in that division. You've got Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You've got the defending Super Bowl champion Rams. This is I just, a full I just, NFC to get through. I also just look at the, some of the defensive lines you're going to be going up against, right? And if it is true that Jensen's out for most of the season or that Tristan Wirf misses the season, I, I mean, it's the most cliche thing of all time. But how do you how do you stop Tom Brady? You get pressure in his face, right? Mm-hmm. And do you imagine Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis going up against, you know, some second string center? Here, there he is. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> We're going to get to the NFC and AFC East next week, but I'm just saying. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that if I was if I was whoever the backup center is for the Tampa Bay Bucks, yes, right? Sir. You know who else I wouldn't want to see if I was a backup center for the Tampa Bay Bucks in the playoffs? who just did it to Ryan Jensen last year, Aaron fucking Donald. Yep. Yeah. And you know who else I wouldn't want to see as a quarterback on the defensive side of the ball? Tom Brady. Uh, if I'm no any question. defense in, in the NFC is Tom Brady. So like- No question. But I don't think from a roster standpoint, you can look at this team and say that they're the favorite to win. I think they're the favorite to win their division. I think they're probably going to win 12 to 14 games because of the division. I like this. What's but they the also- over-under on their wins? I don't know. It's a good question. But they also, I mean, New Orleans has had their number. New Orleans kicks the shit yeah, out of Tampa Bay. So well, that was with Bree, even even after Breeze. I mean, they, they beat them yeah. last year, too. You know, I, I again, I still think it's the favorite, but there's some small key pieces. They still have Levante David. They still have Devin White. They still yeah. have the def- a lot of really good depth and good pass rushers on the defensive line. Their front seven is going to continue to be really good. The secondary, they drafted a corner that supposedly uh, the kid from Sam Houston State that people are really high on, freak athlete, kind of freak athlete kind of guy. I'm just I, I, all I'm saying is I don't feel as confident about this Tampa Bay team as I did in the last two years. All right, and, Fanduel, not a sponsor, has uh, Tampa Bay their over under win total at eleven and a half. Where whoa, you guys over. See, that's where I was going to have it. I, I I would say 12 wins is where I have them at. I thought it would be 12 and a half to 13. Not a sponsor. I think I would have 12, but I think 11 and a half is the, is the correct number there. 
Um, but, right, but we're all in agreement that we have them winning the division, right? Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. Woo! <laughs> I also love when you look, like when I was doing research, getting ready for it, it says like notable departures from the Saints this year, and the first two names are Blake Bortles and Trevor Simeon. <laughs> Not to Ron Armstead. Yeah. Hey, Not one hey. of the greatest offensive linemen to play the game. <laughs> I love me. I love Blake Bortles. You know, Trevor Simeon seems like a good dude, but just how that's just that shit's fucking funny. Um, but you're right. The big piece in terms of departures, Teron Armstead, who was by all accounts the number one um free agent. They also had the number one player in the secondary and Marcus Williams, who was probably the biggest get at safety. He, now they replaced him with the other top safety yeah. that was a free agent, which was Tyron Matthew. And Talk they also that. got Marcus May, who was a very high quality safety from the New York Jets. Um, both of them kind of play the same playmaking position, right? Uh, Marcus May was kind of the single high when Jamal Adams was with the Jets, and he has some of that in his repertoire. So he'll probably do more of that with Tyron Matthew playing there. I'm very curious to see what Dennis Allen kind of draws up as they also have a new head uh, first-time head coach, though Todd Bowles was in first time. Dennis Allen taking over for Sean Payton because Sean Payton, let's be honest, is the biggest loss for this team. Um, I forget who the offensive coordinator's name. It's like Pat Conning, not Conning. It's like Pat Cunningham or something. But he's like the least known offensive coordinator that's been around for like a decade. Like he's been with Sean Payton for like ten years. And no one knows the guy. And now he's in total control of this offense. Um, they do go out and get some pretty P. Carmichael. Thank I you. I, yeah. I, I, I had the P right. And I also had an Irish last name. So that's correct. That's about all I needed. Um, they do go out and get Jarvis Landry. Great pickup for them. They do tr- uh, draft Chris Alave, who we talked at the time. One of my favorite players. They're supposedly getting uh, Michael Thomas back as well. It looks like they're going to have some better weapons. They still have Alvin Kamara and you uh, have, well, do they <laughs> good question? We're not hundred percent sure yet. There's a, there's a <laughs> question, but they lose the anchor of their defense and Quan Alexander. This team lost a lot. They got, it's going to look like a vastly different new Orleans saints team, right? Like, and for a multitude of reasons, the guy on the sideline calling plays, uh, it's another year of Jameis, but without, you know, the Harvard professor that he, you know, he, like he said, learning from Sean Payton was like getting a degree from Harvard and football, yeah, it was um, holding him back. but he's got a bunch of, yeah, it's holding him back, but, he, <laughs> but he's got a lot of interesting weapons. Um, the offensive line is considerably worse. They did nothing to replace, um, uh, uh, Toronto Armstead. They drafted, uh, was it Trevor Penning? the kid out of Northern Iowa, uh, the offensive lineman. That's going to be a lot of pressure for a rookie who played in the FCS last year to come in, despite the fact that I think we all liked him. We all think he's a mauler. It's a, it's a big jump to go in and be a starting, you know, tackle in the NFL. I love him after playing in, in the FCS, he could be great, but it's a big jump and it's a lot of pressure. Uh, And you also have Jameis like Jameis is the ultimate wild card here. I think, I think the defense He's and when I say wild card, by the way, I don't mean like uh, over the course of the season. Like he could be great. He could. I mean, in every what other you're saying, snap, they're going to be in the wild card game. That's what every you're other snap. Jameis could do something. He's literally the Charlie Day in uh, in Always Sunny. You know, wild card bitches and just jumps out of the back of the van. 
In fact, I think that's one of Jameis's weird workout routines is getting thrown out of the back of a van. So hmm. I, love his, I love how his off-season training looked like old Madden things that you sent to the pocket <laughs> yes. present. It was like, dude, these were Madden drills from 04. I've seen this shit. And I love that that's his like, he's like, I'm working really hard. I he love does, it. He does some weird shit, man. You know, I when you love-, love the game so much and it's part of you, uh, you just you gravitate well, towards it. I would love to see Jameis do well, but if I'm just being honest, man, like <clears throat> I, I have no idea how this is. This is probably the hardest team for me to figure out because I could see this team trying like competing to win the division. I could also see them winning five games. And it, to me, it could be anywhere in between the variance for them is massive because well, they I got think- worse in so many important, crucial areas. Jameis coming off the ACL, which I don't think we can just like, oh, it's just going to be normal. Like Jameis is coming off of an ACL. Well, he's got LASIK, bro. But no, yeah, we're going to see LASIK Jameis now too. Look, You're too I, and, LASIK, and I think Jameis. that's, I think that's a microcosm of you know the off season is they got better in a lot of areas, but <laughs> they, have they an got ACL worse tear, in some areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They basically like, traded they, out. They got their better. Their worst. Their worst. <laughs> like down parts of their team their worst parts of the team they fixed but then the best parts of the team they got really bad in. they just like flip-flop or retire yeah yeah you know and, and like yeah so that's what so, i mean is like that's it's a microcosm can i just say this is the entire defining year and i think if we all say he makes the playoffs i think we can say james is a great quarterback can we please just no. before the season i'm gonna say he's making no the playoffs. no and you know no, why that narrative's not gonna happen is because if it happens it's gonna be on the shoulders of michael thomas it's gonna be on the shoulders of me because i'm gonna carry it to the goddamn end zone with this podcast I, but he, okay but how the fuck do we know that michael thomas is any good we haven't seen him play football in two years I, Clay Thompson listen, play football. actually that's a bad example uh <laughs> terrible I, example i just all right saints Saints over under uh, is uh, from FanDuel, not a sponsor. Eight and a half. What do you got? Over. I got the under, actually. I hate that because that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, FanDuel's looking at it in the exact same way that I am, which is that, like, <laughs> who knows? Put it in the fucking middle. That's what we're going to do. They were like, I don't know. We don't know how many wins they're going to have. Let's just put it in the fucking middle and see what happens. Because no one knows what this team's going to be. And if it was Sean Payton, I'd take the over. Dennis Allen might be great. I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I plead the fifth. I'm not giving an answer. Nine I don't and a half. Know. He's going nine and a half. Not great. You okay. know what? I'm gonna. You know, I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna take the over. I think the shell coverage that uh, that Dennis Allen's defense is gonna uh, is gonna throw out there is going to win them one or two games that'll put them over the over. It's just. It's so funny, man. Like, I'm just looking at the list of, like, notable departures, and three are so inconsequential, and four are just massive. And then the same is with their acquisitions. Like, three are just who cares, and the other four are like, oh, that's actually a good get. This is just a weird team. Um, I'm going to say under eight and a half. I'm going to say under eight and a half. But I think that's a perfect line. I think I think at eight to nine wins <laughs> – I just think Sean losing Sean Payton, like you're going to make rookie head coach mistakes. It doesn't matter how long you've been an assistant with a head coach. Dennis Allen was coached before. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But it's also been a long time. Mean, when's the last time Dennis Allen was the head coach? It was when uh, he was Oakland. in what, Oakland, right? Yeah. And that was <laughs> 10 years ago. I mean, there's just a lot. And the play calling, I think, is huge. 
and Jameis. There's just too many big questions at big spots. I'm going to take the under with them. Um, all right, let's go to Carolina. I want to talk. I want to talk about the Panthers a little bit. Me too. Because I'm, I'm a little higher on the Panthers than I think most people are. The Baker boys. <laughs> um, we all are Baker boys. He's not looked yeah. great so far in camp, apparently. Sam Darnold allegedly is leading the camp. But let's also take into account he's been in Carolina for two weeks and is learning Man, a new offense. Please. And I think by the time yeah. we get to week one, I do think Baker Mayfield will be uh, the starter. Uh, they have a fun running back room. Not only do they have Christian McCaffrey, who hopefully will stay healthy, uh, they also go out and sign Deontay Foreman, who was the uh, Derrick Henry light for the Tennessee Titans last year, who performed well. They also locked up DJ Moore. Um, they bring back Robbie Anderson, who now is Robbie with a Y, not Robbie with an IE. Let's keep that. In oh, wow. What? And um, so I'm very, very curious as to where uh, they end up looking on offense. The offensive line, definitely still a question mark. They have not done anything to uh, improve and or uh, uh, really strengthen the offensive line. And the defense is at a point now where the defense really needs to kind of put up or shut up because in the 2020 draft, they went all defense in the first in, in that draft. Remember they went hundred yeah. percent defense. And so far, a lot of those picks have not quite worked out. And in addition to that, they also lose Hassan Reddick. Uh, they made the they made the trade for Stefan Gilmore last year. He's gone. AJ Boye is gone. Now we get JC Horn back, who looked great off the jump. They have Jeremy Chin, who has looked awesome. Um, but there's a bunch of question marks for this team. I look at more half glass full because I think in a lot of those big defensive spots, someone like a Derek Brown, when you're playing the interior defensive line, you have to it takes usually two or three years for you to kind of hit that point. So I think he's going to have a good year. Where are you guys sitting right now with the Carolina Panthers? I'm at glass half full, but that's also because I love Baker. Where are you guys? I'm glass half full because I also love Matt Rule. I think this dude's a great coach. I'm hoping to see the defense take step this year. Yeah, but I mean, he's also, in his defense, the first guy to upset to beat Penn State as a Temple head coach since World War II. Okay. This guy is, he knows how to coach a team and he's done it at a bunch of stops. I just really believe in him as a defensive coach. Uh, I think they'll take another step this year forward. And I think offensively, um, listen, Sam Darnold might start the season. That's how I feel, but I think Baker takes over by week three or four. And if it, at the latest, I believe that he will be the guy that takes them to the playoffs. It seems like the perfect fit for him um, from where he came from. Now, offensively, I, I hope he can learn it quick. I believe in him as a smart dude. Um, you know, to get to the NFL, you probably are. But I'm worried about how they all gel. You can know the offense, but do you know exactly where to put the ball when your, you know, X receiver is running and out? Yeah. That's, that's the stuff that matters. So, as long as they put in enough time, which to your point, Jeff, I hope he gets enough time with those first stringers because that's the key right now. If he's not getting that time, man, it's hard to step in and just have that connection if you're not doing that in the off season. So um, that's, what's going to be the most interesting part. Now, you know, during route trees, usually every receiver is running for multiple quarterbacks and you get some passes, but it's different than lining up under center and running plays. So that's my biggest concern. Are, is Baker going to get enough snaps in, with the first team 
before he will get the start. And if that doesn't happen until late enough, they could fall. That's what I see happening. I see him taking over week three or four, falling off after that, and they're probably getting seven to eight wins. It's interesting. By the way, did you know that uh, Matt Rule is the uh, longest tenured head coach in the NFC South? Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, two of them, well, three of them were out in the last, in the last two years. So exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the defense will be good. They were playing well. The offense yeah. was bad, but um, yeah, it depends if Baker, if Baker can get them to adequate on offense, which they were bad, like Sam Darnold was below average last year. If they, if they can get to adequate, if it's 2020 Baker, I think the team can be pretty good. I, I like the secondary. I like the defense. The, I love the defensive line. I, I'm just Matt Rule. I loved Matt Rule. I loved the hire when it happened. I'm I'm a little. This is the, this is a massive year for Matt Rule. To make or break, right? And, and so for me, it, uh, there are three things that move the needle. One on offense, obviously the Baker Mayfield thing, I, because I think he's the answer. Uh, and I don't know if you want to sit around and, and wait for six games of Sam, Sam Darnold to, uh, to prove to you that he's not. Uh, you can come back and check on me in week seven after I, I'm right. Uh, <clears throat> two is the health of Christian McCaffrey, obviously. That's a huge, uh, a huge thing. You know, uh, we, we see peak running back age at like 26 or 27. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is still 24 years old. And what? he's been, or 25 years old. He's been massively injured two times in his entire career. McCaffrey's um, 25? Yeah. Uh, and, and and so those, how much will those two injuries, A, set him back as a running back, and B, uh, can he stay healthy in this offense? Uh, and, then, and then thirdly, on defense, uh, I don't see, you know, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the defense has has switched to to split safety, uh, shell coverage. Uh, that's not Matt Rule's style. Matt Rule's old school. He'll play zone. He'll play uh, play you straight up. And I don't see a, a ton of playmakers on defense. Uh, obviously, Etu Grossmato said defensive end uh, is doing his thing. Love that guy, Penn Stater. Uh, but uh, Shaq Thompson and and Jeremy Chin and J.C. Horn are the only other guys that moved the needle for me. Um, so on on defense, I'm not thrilled. Like especially as much as they've invested in that uh, on on that side of the ball, uh, we haven't seen the me, production yet. But the talent, I do think the talent is there. The production hasn't come with it, and this is important yeah. for them. Whether whether yeah, it's they're exactly. playing out of position, I also say too, I don't love that Ben McAdoo is the offensive coordinator. Um, and, and I do want to say who? this, <laughs> Ben Mac Ben McAdoo do. Um, they did go out and sign Bradley Bozeman starting at center. One of the better free agent centers that was available. Austin Corbett, who's just a professional off, you know, professional football player, which sometimes it's nice just to have those guys to solidify an offensive line. We did leave out their first round pick this year, Ike Akunu. Um, If the Ike Akunu pick works out and you have a legit stud left tackle, that definitely changes the offense. Um, and I, I looked it up, and you're right. I, I thought McCaffrey's older. He's 26, just turned 26 in June. It's a peak running back age. I don't like the fact that I'm a, that I'm older than uh, Christian McCaffrey. That's <laughs> not a fan of that. Um, 
again, I'm pause. I'm more glass half full. I think them and the saints probably finish right around the same win mark. Um, Interesting. Again, a lot of that has more to do with my Baker Mayfield positivity. Um, and, and I think, I think they'll get off to a slow start. I see them getting hot towards the end. Uh, and I think getting two games against Atlanta and New Orleans, which I think are winnable games, is big for them. So I, I like I like Carolina right at that eight to nine win mark. Agreed. So FanDuel, and we'll do the uh we'll do our schedule preview. Uh, you know, we'll go through each uh, each team's schedule and and kind of rate their wins and losses, right? Uh right, Jeff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before, uh, before but the so season, we'll we'll give before we'll the season starts, but we have we have currently uh FanDuel, not a sponsor has the uh, Carolina Panthers over under win total at six and a half. I am yeah. hammering the over on that. I, I would also take the over. I would too, but I don't think I'm hammering it. I think they get seven to eight. Yeah. Yeah, I think they get a game. I think they get a couple games over. I can see them getting to nine. I think the division games are going to be big for them. Uh, let's wrap up the division here with the Atlanta Falcons, who, um, if we're just being honest, are probably going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. You'll um, say that. <laughs> Mariotas? Are you kidding um, me? I love, I, lo- I love Marcus Mariota, dude. Marcus Mariota is like one of my favorite college players of all time. Um, sure. They draft Drake London in the first round. Another year of Kyle Pitts. Huge. Um, there's, Huge. Some, there's some interesting stuff here. There's gonna be, they're an interesting team. Like I don't think they're going to be a great team, but I think they're going to be an interesting team. Um, Cordero Patterson comes back. The offensive line for them is still just garbage just they did nothing nothing to shore up the offensive line uh they bring back our boy young way which we're all young way coup fans here uh but this is also the first time since 2007 that we're gonna see a quarterback not named matt ryan or matt schaub uh being the starting quarterback for the falcons um no calvin ridley um they lose hayden hurst dante fowler the defense was terrible last year. So I guess, you know, it can only really get better. Uh, this is a team to me that is going to be looking at drafting a quarterback in the top five next year, or maybe a Will he, Anderson. If even maybe though they drafted Desmond, Desmond Ritter, but I mean, but that was the, th- I mean, I, we, and we talked about this. I love Desmond Ritter, mm-hmm. but there's also a good chance Desmond Ritter doesn't. I mean, it seems by all accounts that Mariota is going to be the starter going into week one. Agreed. Uh, and, and for me, what little depth they had last year was absolutely decimated in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, on, on all fronts. So to, to me, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a lot of Kyle Pitts. It's going to be a lot of Drake London on offense, and they're going to give up a ton of points. Uh, so <laughs> the, the offensive line is going to be so bad for them. It's I atrocious. Jalen Mayfield is still one of their starting offensive linemen. I mean, Oh, it's rough. It's rough. I'm really excited to see Mariota in this style. He's quick at decision-making. The line is not great, as you say. Now, I'm worried about the running game. I'm worried about what they can even get going in the running game. Because if you look at Mariota, you look at where he was successful with Chip Kelly, and even in Tennessee when they made it to the playoffs, both those teams ran the ball well. So I'm worried about him taking 35 dropbacks a game, which is – Look at anywhere in his career. He's never done that kind of shit. And that's what I'm worried about is where is their running game going to come from? So so is this not the Dolphins of last year who have a mediocre to below average running game, a quarterback who has a terrible uh, depth of target rate, uh, 
and a, a big receiving tight end and one decent wide receiver. Very similar, like that's exactly what this Atlanta Falcons team is. A little different. <laughs> a little bit. Exactly. The, the yeah. Def- the defense for Miami was a lot better. Yeah. And I yeah. think, but other than that, I mean, I get the, comparison I, I love the making. offensive comparison. Yeah. That's, I didn't even think of that, Scotty. That's a great comp. So maybe um, you're right. Maybe if we, if you believed in Tua or if the you offensive, believe in Mariota, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line for, for Miami, I think was better too, but um, oh, that's saying something. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I don't know. There, there's not going to be much of a running game. They also lost Mike Davis, who didn't do a whole lot last Baltimore, year. Right? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, Cordero. I don't know. I, this is a team that I think at traded line is going to, whether it's Zacchaeus or Zucchini, as I call him, or, you know, a guy like Cordero, uh, a Deion Jones, who's in the last year of his contract. Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see someone get moved probably from this team at the deadline, and they're probably going to be a, a, a tanking, not tanking, but um, a team that's looking more towards 2023 than 2022. Um, Over so under our, four and a half. I'm going to win total. Four and a half, geez. God, the win totals have been spot on so far. Um, I go under. Five, five and 12. Ugh. That's gonna be tough. I'll I'll probably take the under there too. Problem is, is I I just I think both New Orleans and Carolina are both a full step better than them. So I don't think they're gonna get much wins. And they're not really it's not like Jacksonville or Houston who are probably gonna you know trade games. I don't think they pick up an extra win from anyone in the division. So um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under on that. I have them finishing fourth in division as well. I'm going, I'm going over. Optimistic veto. Veto is just going to have the over for everybody, which mathematically I don't think is possible. <laughs> it no, doesn't make but, sense. But gambling wise, <laughs> it will make my heart happy. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do the AFC South and we'll get you on the way to the rest of your week. All right, AFC South, I think unquestionably the least exciting division <laughs> heading into it. But there's also, and this is why football is king. There's a lot of interesting stuff here, right? Because you you have Trevor Lawrence, right? You, you number one pick from a year ago, new coach, everything going on in Jacksonville. You now have Carson Wentz out of Indianapolis and Matt Ryan in in Indy, which I think is a much better fit and a much better oh, yeah. situation for them. And I think Matt Ryan still got some ball left. Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans, after being the one seed in the AFC last year fall short in the playoffs what do they look like after trading aj brown there's a whole bunch to get to so we're going to start here with the indianapolis colts because boys i'll say it now this team is winning the division i think the upgrade alone from matt from carson wentz to matt ryan and what they're going to be able to continue to do without having to protect carson wentz's deficiencies it's going to open up their passing game a lot. The wide receivers are still a little bit of a question mark there in Indy. I mean, Michael Pittman took a nice jump. Uh, no more T.Y., right? T.Y. is officially gone. No more Zach Paschal. Um, but then they drafted a wide receiver this year, too. I forget who they drafted. Traylon Burks, yeah. That guy no, that's that tennis. That was no, Tennessee. That's Tennessee. Tennessee but they have, they have Paris Campbell, who's been injured, who's been lining it up at camp mm-hmm. as well. So he- they'll have some guys there. Mo Ali Cox is back, who's a solid tight end. And the biggest weapon they have is Jonathan Taylor, who is an absolute fucking wrecking ball. 
So the offensive line got better. The defense somehow even got better. They bring in Stephon Gilmore. They go and get Yannick Ngakwe. They got Alex Pierce from Cincinnati, the wide receiver. Thank you. Yep. Who has also done a good job. They also got Rodney McLeod. So the defense, I think, got better. Um, And the defense was already pretty good. Just no one could stay healthy on that team. Um, The linebacker for them, oh, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. Um, Like the do-everything linebacker for them. Who Uh, retired? No. um, God, this is going to piss me off. Uh, we'll, we'll get Zach Parker on it. Um, but overall, I think this team just got better, like top to bottom. I just think they got better. And Darius Leonard, thank you, Darius Leonard. Um, and I'm excited to see it because I think Matt Ryan, even though it's not Matt Ryan of 2016 that won, you know, the MVP, he's still a really solid, good quarterback and he's not going to make mistakes and they're going to be able to run the ball first behind that offensive line. And they're going to be able to throw off of play action. And they're going to be able to have a quarterback that they can trust to at least process and see defenses better than Carson Wentz could without having to dumb down a lot of the stuff they did to protect their quarterback. They're they're going to have to protect Matt Ryan because of his age, not because of what he can or cannot do on a, you know, in terms of seeing defenses and Uh, one limits your offense processor, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And one limits your offense a lot more than the other. Like Carson Wentz limited limits your offense more so than an aging Matt Ryan. No, I I totally agree. I think the difference between the two is that you trust one with running way more plays, having control over all the plays. And also, you know, this from back in the Philly days, Carson think about what ended their season. It was a mistake pick. Was the pick six. That game in Jacksonville. Yeah. And, and week, yeah, week 18 in Jacksonville, man. The I mean, biggest choke season, job. Yeah, because of a quarterback decision, Matt Ryan's not going to do that to you. And even though they, they, you know, Atlanta's been through a lot of wins and a lot of losses, it's you can never point the, the bill at Matt Ryan too many times and say, oh, you know, he's the reason they went four wins this year. No, that's never the case. He may be the reason they lose a game a season, but it, he is such a more dependable guy. I love this take, Jeff. I'm totally on board with them doing extremely well in division, maybe even winning. Um, I think this is a step up for Indy from last year. I, I think the the one downside is uh, you, you still don't know what you're getting out of your receivers, right? Like we expected Michael Pittman to take this jump uh, in in a, a year after 2021, where he was so very productive with uh, with even a guy like Carson Wentz, um, and so for him to get a quarterback like Mac Ryan, uh, you think he'd be better? No, I I think this makes Jonathan Taylor better. I think this makes Naeem Hines better as a the second guy in the backfield. I don't know that it makes the receiving core any better. Uh, I think it makes Mel Ali Cox uh, a little more valuable uh, if you're if you're judging it on fantasy standards, but um, that's all to say that I think Matt Ryan makes this offense much better than it was last year. And it was a really good offense last year behind a really good offensive line. Um, and again, the defense upgraded. So I, I, I think they're in prime position, especially with what will, and we'll talk about this, uh, in a couple of minutes here, but especially with what Tennessee and their off season look like, I think, Indianapolis is firmly in the driver's seat in this division. 
I, yeah, I think so too. And I think benefit of the doubt because of what Tennessee's done over the last, you know, four years and, and Vrabel being, I think the biggest, uh, him and Derek Henry, at least being the biggest reasons for that. Um, I, it's interesting. You, you think that Matt Ryan's not going to help make Michael Pittman jr. Better. I think the thing that's going to help make Michael Pittman jr. Better is, and why I think it's also might end up hurting Jonathan Taylor is that Jonathan Taylor was so good last year. You know, he, the defenses are coming in. Like who's the number one person you're worried about facing this team. A key on him second year back. It's a, yeah, I know. I it's, understand. It's, it's Jonathan Taylor, right? So if anything, yeah. having a, and that was with, and teams knew that, and yet they still couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor teams know that now. And now they have a quarterback who I feel more confident in being able to get the ball to his wide receivers. Um, I think that helps Michael Pittman Jr. And we've seen Matt Ryan have success with a true, with a legit number one wide receiver. And I think Michael Pittman Jr. is um, the, the the second and third wide receivers. I mean, look, the, the spots up for grabs. You have Alec Pierce, like we said, Paris Campbell. They also have Kiki Cootie there, who we've seen have good stretches in the NFL when he played for the Texans. So I think there's some stuff here to like. And I, I think just total complete roster. And then which quarterback do you trust the most in this division? Do you trust? Tannehill or Matt Ryan, I'd trust Matt Ryan. And and uh, I trust another one. We haven't named him yet. Davis Mills, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but in terms of what we've seen from them so far, I think we can all agree that Matt Ryan is the guy that you trust the most out of eh, all Hall of Famer, eh, whatever. <laughs> um, I think it's gonna be. I think they're gonna be a fun team, and I'm excited to see Matt Ryan in a new place. And I think there's something to that whole like rejuvenated mentality of a quarterback who's getting a second chance at, on, on what's going to be a good team because i think carson the Wentz, Colts. yeah i think the colts are going to be good I, I really do what's do you have their win totals up scotty uh, i can pull them up for you right quick because i think they win the division I, I think they'll probably win i would say their over under is probably at like ten and a half. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. over under by fanduel not a sponsor i would definitely take the over i would and i would hammer it Hmm. That's 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 bringing out the jackhammer and hammering it. Yeah, I don't know what they're, and we'll get into this when we do our preview. But I don't know what they're across, like their AFC divisional. Well, they're, pl- they're playing a second. Like, they're playing they're... a second place schedule. You know, Tennessee yeah. is going to have a tougher schedule just by nature of it. Yeah, but nature yeah, of it, and but. the rotation too. I, I don't know. I, I don't know who the AFC well, South is playing Tennessee, this year. To, to your point, I, um, I'm man, this is tough. They're up there. I'm not going to say anything defining out, but they're definitely up there, Jeff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the team that has consistently won mm-hmm. the AFC South for the last few years. That is the Tennessee Titans. Now, the biggest move for them in the offseason was obviously trading A.J. Brown to the Eagles. Um, they did add Traylon Burks in the draft. They also traded for Robert Woods, um, who we probably won't see toward, until the end of the season coming off of an ACL tear. Uh, uh, they, he was just to practice him and Caleb Farley are, uh, wow. already in drills. Yeah. Jesus. Wow. That's some, didn't he tear Didn't Robert Woods tear his ACL like week nine last year? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wild. Modern medicine, um, man. <laughs> but either, either way, I still don't think we see him probably till a few weeks into the season at best. Um, that helps them for sure. Uh, the biggest one for them is obviously they have. Derrick Henry, who missed most of last year, um, came back for the playoffs. Weirdly enough, I think that kind of helps his longevity. I mean, Derrick Henry's 28. Um, 
with how much of a physical runner he is having a year off of the physical contact, despite, you know, having, you know, a steel plate in his foot, uh, which obviously sucks, but I do think that can help him as long as he stays healthy here. Uh, the offensive line, they bring in Jamarco Jones. Um, they only lost one of their starters along the offensive line. Uh, they lose Julio as well, which, you know, hit or miss, whether that matters. Um, I just, here's an, here's a question for you guys. How old do you think Ryan Tannehill is? Cause I How saw, old? I saw this recently and it blew my mind. How old do you think Ryan Tannehill is? 29, 28, 31, 34. Whoa. Oh, he's older than me. Wow. Unless I saw it wrong, and we can get Zach Parker on this, but he's on it. I'm almost positive Ryan Tannehill is is 34 years old. 34 years old, born in July 27, 1988. I think he, he was is, a. I think he was a five year, year player in college. Me. I think he was a five year <laughs> player in college. Mm-hmm. He had six years in Miami before coming here. I mean, the dude's been around for a long hmm. time. Um. I always thought he was younger and maybe that's part of why I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, he's older than uh, Kirk. He's, he's older or the same age as Kirk cousins. Right. Like I think at this point, Tannehill is who he is. And I've always liked Tannehill. I've always kind of tried to give him the benefit of the doubt when I can, but it's going to be hard, man. And the defense, which was a problem for them last year, which Vrabel did a masterful job coaching wise to get the most out of that defense. Um, but again, I don't, I don't really see how this team got, they remind me similar in terms of off seasons as the Cowboys, right? Like everyone's penciling in the Cowboys and the Titans as the favorites in their divisions, but on paper, how on earth did the Cowboys or Titans get better? They both traded away a number one wide receiver. You know, they both brought in a a guy who is now hurt. You know, James Washington, is out for 10 weeks already for the Cowboys. There's going to miss 10 weeks of the season, I should say, for the Cowboys. Um, the defense never got adjust. I mean, the only defensive player they brought in, which sorry, they didn't even bring him in, they just resigned him, was Buster Screen, the cornerback. Um, yes, they did. You know, they are going to have Caleb Farley play this year, which is helpful. Um, but they lose, you know, Janoris Jenkins or Jack Rabbit Jenkins, I should say. Uh, And they also have Malik Willis sitting there, which at some point, if maybe they're 500 by week seven, week eight, they're not getting enough from Tannehill. They throw in Malik Willis. And then next thing you know, this team's maybe 500 or maybe a couple of games below 500. I just, it's, I don't want to bet against in any context, Mike Vrabel or um, uh, uh, Derek Henry, but like, those are two guys you just don't want to bet against in any context. But I kind of am. I kind of think that the Tennessee Titans are getting ready for a bit of a nosedive off of where they've been from the last few years. And Kevin Byer, too, who is there. one of the uh, he was one of the uh, the MVP candidates after a few weeks uh, in the year, the free safety Kevin Byer. And like, I, I think you're right. I think they're right there. Um, but like, you know, I, I, I'm on the train of, uh, you know what? I'll say it. I'll say it. Derrick Henry. Over the hill. Done. Whoa. I wouldn't say that. Whoa. Over the hill. I'll take him first in fantasy, Scott. If you get drafted in fantasy, I'll trade you anytime. Over the hill. Wow. Be interesting to see. Yep. I Uh, think they're up there again in the realm. I'm not going to commit to anybody. 
Yeah, I just I do like Traylon Burks. I love the Traylon Burks. I do, thing, man. I like, do too. But you have AJ Brown, and what? How AJ? Did you guys see AJ Brown clap back after the Debo contract? Because Debo got his contract, and uh, who was the other wide receiver that got their contract recently? A uh, DK. Both got DK. theirs. Yeah. Out of their class, there were five of them who all got uh, extensions. Only one of them got traded, and it was and AJ Hunter Brown, Renfro. right? <laughs> and so. I loved it. He AJ Brown was like, you know, all four of us got our extensions, but only one of us got traded. Like keep saying that I was the problem. And I think there's some truth in that, man. And I like, I like Vrabel. I like Henry and I like Tannehill, but I just think at this point, it just feels a little stale. It feels like we kind of know what they are and you know, it's weird, but it's kind of like the Utah jazz and basketball, right? Like the go bear and Donovan Mitchell thing. It was the same thing every year. And ultimately, something needed to happen. Something needed to change. And I think, I think that's kind of where we're at here. And and who knows? Maybe we'll get a little Malik Willis action at some point here in uh, in the regular season. Jeff, um, you're gonna hate this. Over under nine and a half. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna take the. I'm gonna take the under. I'm with you. I think all three teams, not named the Indianapolis Colts, are gonna be sub ten wins. I'm calling exact. I'm calling a tie here. I'm calling this division gets a tie, Tennessee and Jacksonville tie. And at eight, and eight. Nine, they have nine and a half wins. Exactly. That's if exact. Well, th- does a tie count as a half a win? I'm glad you asked Jeff. Uh, it <laughs> used to count as nothing. And these motherfuckers changed the rule. And I will say that because it used to be nothing. Two wins equal or two ties equal the win. Now it does equal half a win, which I do not appreciate. I think two ties equal a win, fair. One tie equaling half a win, no. Don't know I, why I feel so strongly about it, but I do. I asked that question not expecting to get a response, and I'm really happy that I got a response. <laughs> Glad you asked that question. Jeff. Yeah, I was just like, oh, shit, Vito's getting an actual response for me. <laughs> um, all right, well, it seems like we're, so far we're all kind of on the same page here. Um, let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I believe I said in like week, like week 10 of last year that uh, Doug Peterson would be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Called. And he is going to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, just losing Urban Meyer alone is going to win you games. Like having a, an adult in the room who has any idea is just going to add to your win total. Is that, isn't that what one of the players said? They were asked like, what's the difference with Doug Peterson as head coach? And they were It was like, Josh Allen, uh, yeah. Yeah, Josh Allen was and like, he was like, it's a professional environment. Now. It's like, yeah, we actually have a professional here. We have someone who's not fingering <laughs> buttholes. Um, all right, well, let's can do that. Too. I mean, that's <laughs> good point. The two are not mutually exclusive. Um, I'm excited to see what happens with the Jags here. Um, this to me is very much there's there's a thing with the tanking and everything that's going on in sports. And I get this because as, as a fan of the process, I was at the forefront of this when it first was introduced of this, like if you're not first, you're last, right? So be the worst so you can eventually become the first. And I think in sports, it can be more nuanced than that. I do think there's a, a, a place for quote unquote tanking, or at least preparing for the long term. Um, but I really admire what the Jaguars did here, which everyone's going to look at Christian Kirk and, you know, uh, Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and, and all these guys and Brandon Scherf and all these guys that they paid money to who are like, oh, you gave that much to Christian Kirk, you know, and people are going to criticize him for it. And I think there is something to, hey, we just want to be better. 
We're, we know we're not winning this year, but you know what? We just want to be better. We want to be a better team this year. We want to win more games this year. And even if it is at the expense of a few contracts and you're, you're spending some money here or there, it's undoubtable that this team is better, not just because of Urban Meyer, but because of the pieces that they added, even if they aren't necessarily, you know, a contender in the division, or even if they don't win more than six games, they are fundamentally a better football team and they're setting up their hopeful. Jeff, I think we lost you here for a second, but I'll take it on here because I think, I think what I'm, what I'm really excited about is with the Jacksonville piece is not only the fact that Doug Peterson's the head coach and is going to work on this, right. On this quarterback prospect, who's Trevor Lawrence, one of the best we've seen in a long time. I also think that they made strides on, like you said, a lot of different positions. They paid a lot of people. That's fine. But man, oh man, am I so excited to see what happens here with the whole offense and how they actually move the ball. Listen, there was a lot last year of running it when you just couldn't. They were sticking the run game when they couldn't. Trevor Lawrence was really only dependent on what about had to win games. Yeah, what right? about the fact that they didn't have ATN all year and now he's going to be in, in the backfield catching passes and running the ball like no, he was supposed to be the draft pick that they made him. I think personally adding Christian Kirk, adding a couple people just makes the world of a difference. And also just that environment year two with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, listen, he had a statistically bad year, but I, I I've been, uh, I've been bored. And I watched a compilation of all of his throws from the last season. And let me tell you what, it was pretty good. I got to say it was better than I thought it was going to be. Like, honestly, I watched red zone a lot, right? I didn't catch every, all of his throws, but let me tell you what, watching that, I was like, okay. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating this. Let me watch another quarterback. And I watched Kirk cousins and it, it, to me, Kirk cousins made a lot more mistakes. He got away with cause he would just mistake an error on the because outside, he has which is dealing in Jefferson. Well, also like he just, he just error away. And, and the point is, is that once Trevor Lawrence learns to error away from the receiver, I think he's going to be completely fine. And yeah. I'm excited to see this team make a jump. I personally believe that this team is up there with Indy and Tennessee and God damn it. I'm going to say it. They might even win this division. Six and a half. They're over under. Oh, over all day. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it. I'll throw. That's, that's, that's exactly what you said last year. That was their, their peak for you. And you, and I will say whiffed this, on that. Yeah. I whiffed hard because you know what? <laughs> Jacksonville has been around since 95, 96, 95 when the franchise was founded. And Tony Baselli, hall of famer for the they, first one for the Jags, by the way. Yep. And they, they have only had two first round picks and that's the last two years. As bad as you think the Jags have been, they have first never overall had a first picks. round pick. First until, overall yes, picks. Yeah, correct. Until the last two years. Crazy. True. But they also had a lot of top 10 picks and a lot of top five picks. They had number two a lot. They had number two yeah. say, a little too often. <laughs> no, and I don't know when my mic cut out there and I apologize to the listeners for that. But my, my overall point was just that there's something to just trying to be a better team. And I think that's what they've done. I think they're just a fundamentally better on, on football defense team too. Yeah, with the with the draft they had with Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd as their first two picks. Like the Trayvon Walker thing. I mean, I'm fascinated to see what happens with him. Um, you know, it'll be really interesting if like Jordan Davis ends up becoming like some game wrecker 
and Trayvon Walker becomes just like a solid player, right? I mean, and look, the Jordan Davis thing, I get why people didn't take him one overall, but at the same time, like there's a world where Trayvon Walker is like an absolute, like a Khalil Mack, like just a complete force of nature type pass rusher. And you're putting him up. You got Josh Allen there who has solidified himself as an absolute stud. Um, There's a lot to like, man. There's a lot to like. Uh, And the biggest question is still going to be the offensive line, right? I, I think saying they're in the hunt for the division is bullish to put it mildly. I'll say it. Thank you. Jags are Um, on the hunt. But I would say if they hit their ceiling, I I think seven or eight wins is probably the ceiling, which puts them in potential for, you know, I, I like that, you know, Trevor Lawrence was not as bad as people made him out to be, but I also wouldn't say that he was, you know, he, he looked better than Kirk Cousins last year. Like, He's got Dougie P now. I mean, come on. I think he made less mistakes. His mistakes were way worse. I'll put it that I way. mean, I don't know, dude. Trevor Lawrence made some bad throws last year. Yeah. Here's And here's why it's looked at that way. It's because the expectations were he was going to come in and be Andrew Luck. And remember what Andrew Luck did when he went one as a rookie, number one overall. He took that Colts team to the playoffs and won a playoff game. And, and that was the year before, right? They had just lost Peyton. They had went 0-16. Is that correct? Did yeah. they not win a game that year? They, uh, that was they, yeah, it was like 0-16. I don't know if they went 0-16 or 1-15, but it was, it was yeah, a bad year. It was year. that yeah. bad. Yeah. But I also say, too, is I think almost identical years, and if you watched them play, it was similar. It was like Davis Mills right across the division. And what's the difference between, between the two of them? One had zero expectations and one had some of the highest expectations that a rookie quarterbacks ever had. And I think that's ultimately the big difference here. It's just that Trevor Lawrence had monstrously high expectations. He was in a completely unfair situation to him with the urban Meyer stuff. He had no help around him and a terrible offense. And the fact that he did what he did to that level, he deserves immense credit for, but there are still a lot of things that need, need coaching because I don't really think he, other than just learning the speed and kind of understanding it, there's still so much. He doesn't know what it's like to be a professional in the NFL. This is he's ostensibly a rookie again. Yeah. Because but he I trust have Doug. a professional environment, which Doug will do. Doug yeah. will bring that. And I think it makes him better. Um, I'll take the over on six and a half. Love it. I'll take the over. I think Brandon Scherf, Cam Robinson, I still didn't love the franchise tag, but then they gave him an extension. I don't know. Again, goes back to the just they added players that are at least better. Right. And yes, that ultimately makes you a better football team. And we will close now with probably the least interesting team in the NFL. Um, apologies to all uh, Houston Texans fans who listen to this podcast. Uh, probably not many of you. Um, I don't even know. Like, again, talk about like I didn't know what to talk about the Saints because the Saints have such a wide thing. We just know the Texans are going to be bad. And I don't know what there is much to talk about. So, if either of you guys have something you want to bring up about the Texans, uh, look, what's there, interesting? Couple, what's interesting about this team? There's a couple a couple of things that stick out to me. One is obviously we talk about the offense, like how I feel so bad for John Meshi, straight up. Well, yeah, like, let's yeah. Uh, the the fact that he tore his ACL in the SEC championship game was fighting his way back, ended up being a first round or second round draft, first round draft pick, second round, second round. Um, yeah. Oh. Still, and then and then just diagnosed with leukemia. I wish him all the best. I, I hope he gets back out on the football field. 
Uh, I really do because he's, he's a great talent. And, uh, and, and beyond that, I, I, I hope that, it, that he beats this stupid disease uh, that, uh, that is still plaguing us. Uh, second, I love what they did on defense in the draft. Uh, I love Derek Stingley. I love uh, Jalen Petre, the, the, the safety they just drafted out of Baylor. Uh, they're they're making moves. I, I I'm not willing to say that they're like anywhere near contention. Obviously, you know I, I I'm willing to bet. I haven't looked yet uh, on my app, but uh, I'm willing to bet that the if the over under is plus four and a half uh, on their win total, I'm taking the under. Um, but I like what they're doing. You know, um, Brandon Cooks is going to be their their number one wide receiver. Um, so take that for what it's worth. But uh, they, the only they, thing I know really... about this team is that they're going to have some annoying upset win in October and then again in December. 100%. And they're going to fuck up somebody else. Yep. And they're 100%. probably going to do that and in turn knock themselves out of the number one overall pick. Yeah. Um, Derek and, Stingley and it's going to be Jr. all on rookie talent. I'm excited it to really see Derek is. Stingley Jr. Yeah, um, and who knows, maybe Davis Mills is, is a good quarterback. I mean, again, for what he did with this roster after no, and after having basically played zero college football, he played five games at Stanford. Um, it's impressive for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brandon cooks, Marlon Mack. I mean, there's just, there's nothing to no. get excited about. It's, it's literally to your point, the rookies, there's a couple players coming in. I like Marlon Mack. I don't know what you're expecting to do when it's all on you. Davis Mills is going to have a lot to carry here. I do think, to your point, you mentioned earlier in a different context, but the expectations are low here. What do you guys think? What what Before you look it up, Scotty, what would you put as a successful season number of wins for the Texans? What would be a success? Uh, four. Four or five. As few think, as Jack? as few as possible. <laughs> Seriously, like I, that that is successful. That's the move here. If you're talking about how many wins yeah. makes it successful, I mean, I, I I don't know. I guess four, but again, like I don't. It, they would be. Let me put it this way: five wins. Put it. It's four and a half. Whatever. That's overachieving. That's two more that than they won yeah, last year. That's that's what I that's, more mean. That's, that's overachieving. Yeah. yeah. I think successful for them. And again, these athletes are going to be out there competing for jobs. And I think that's ultimately what they're doing is they know that there's not some sort of championship here, but they're looking to put tape out there to have a good job or to get paid. Um, but what's successful for the franchise is lose is winning as few games as possible and having a shot at CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Anderson or somebody at the top of the draft next year. And I think I'd put that number at like five again, like five wins from this roster would be, it would be like, Oh shit. Texans are like, yeah, some shit's going on down there. Right. They're yeah. not great, but like, yeah, they, they were Davis Mills isn't the answer whatever to, for them to get six or seven would be like, Whoa, this is insane. Like that would yeah. get some talk. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but again, I, I mean, I think they win like three games. At best. So we'll see. Uh, anything else before we wrap up the pod? Good pod, boys. Lots of fun. My mom came in at some point, waved high. Yeah. Um, I felt bad because I was no. in the middle of talking about the Carolina Panthers young defense. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> did a little shush. I was like, I love you, mom, but no. Um, our number one fan, and Vic, we love her. We love Thanks you. for making an appearance on the podcast, Vic. 
Yeah, I guess that technically was her first appearance. Didn't say much, though. Probably not going to have her back on. First um, time, long time. <laughs> she first was time, first time, time, long time. Uh, yeah, look, we'll, keep, a, keep a look out for uh, for some of the uh, additional content that will be coming yeah. out. Uh, I'm doing some stuff on, on Bill Russell. Some, and, uh, Bill Russell, Major League Baseball trade deadline. Juan baseball. Soto, now a Padre. Noah Syndergaard, now a Philly. Phillies were were boisterous. Uh, Josh Hader also goes to the Padres. Padres and Phillies, two big winners, I think, of the trade deadline. But uh, you'll oh, get well, a- you can hear all of that. And I was, just, in I was my- just gonna say you'll get a lot more in depth from that from Scotty later this week, uh, as well as his Bill Russell. Um, we'll call it his letter to Bill Russell, uh, and we'll be back on Friday. Uh, we're gonna finally dip into the college football world to so be ready for that. For the boys, I'm Jeff. I love you both. I love all of you. We'll talk to you guys next week. AllianceAccounting.com. You heard it on the pod. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Take it easy, everybody.